Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. The Board of Directors for the American Farmland Trust has elected Val Docini to the American Farmland Trust Board of Directors. The oversight group tasked to oversee the organization that promotes sound farming practices and protects and keeps farmers on the land. Dolcini is the U.S. Head of Sustainability and Government Affairs for Syngenta, a global agriculture company headquartered in Switzerland. His work spans over 25 years of agricultural policy and management experience in the state, federal, and nonprofit sectors. He has also held senior staff positions in the U.S. House of Representatives, the California State Legislature, and the California Governor's Office. Prior to joining Syngenta, he was State Senate Confirmed Director of the Department of Pesticide Regulation in California. At the same time, he served as the Deputy Secretary for Agriculture at the California Environmental Protection Agency, where he worked with agricultural organizations, farmers, environmentalists, state agencies, and other stakeholders. A nonprofit leader, Dolcini also served as president of the Pollinator Partnership, which works across the U.S. and Canada to promote the health of pollinators through conservation, education, and research. Architecture studio Perkins and Will has placed a series of greenhouses on top of a concrete structure to create an agricultural research center in California. It's called Riverside Plant Research One, and it's a two-story structure that was created for the College of Natural and Agricultural Sciences at the University of California Riverside Campus east of Los Angeles. The facility is designed to support agricultural innovations such as drought-resistance crops and gives the university the ability to test novel agricultural techniques year-round. Agricultural research has been taking place at the university since the early 20th century. The building sits amongst a cluster of greenhouses that have been in operation since the 1960s. The 30,000-square-foot facility comprises a ground floor with serrated concrete walls. These help to stabilize the temperature of potting rooms and growth chambers inside, located alongside staff amenities, including a lobby, break rooms, and restrooms. A series of narrow floor-to-ceiling windows are recessed into these walls to allow light in while not sacrificing the state temperature inside. The upper level consists of 16 greenhouse modules arranged horizontally, each with a gabled roof and cladding made from double-paned polarized glass. Each module can operate its own specific climate, allowing for a diverse range of experiments to take place at any one time. While some of the units have air conditioning, much of the facility's temperature is controlled by an evaporative cooling system, which Perkins and Will says allows temperatures lower than other research greenhouses on the campus. Riverside Plant Research One opened in 2021. Since then, experiments that have taken place there include the testing of bee pollination in different climates, the cultivation of drought-resistant rice, and the potential for certain plants to decontaminate the soil. 
While the supply of lemons out of California is consistent right now, sizing is not. The crop is peaking towards smaller fruit coming out of District 3 currently, but that should change once District 1 ramps up, according to Joshua Schwartz of Four Seasons Produce Incorporated. Once that district comes on, supply is anticipated to be more plentiful and peak more towards large fruit, making for a more balanced market. The two regions are slightly overlapping out of the state. District 1 will ramp up in about seven days. District 1 is a bit late just due to the rough spring that California had with the rains, according to Schwartz. The crop is down versus last year as well, so that plays a role in these regions and start dates. As for demand, it's steady for the first time this year. For Four Seasons Produce, lemon demand is strongest in the summertime and for the holidays as well. Meanwhile, in pricing, the market is high. That's just because there is limited fruit right now. With District 1 coming on, the market will level out, but it's definitely elevated right now, according to Schwartz. District 3 will strengthen and District 1 will ramp up, and then the market will be more balanced. About two months ago, they were pushing imported fruit from Argentina at a very promotable price. So it's a huge spread from two months ago. To now. Along with California, Mexico also has lemons available and that will continue into January. The market is similar. It might present a bit of value, but it's pretty similar in price. In all, Schwartz believes there will be tighter markets for lemons overall this year. He says there won't be any gaps. Natural Delights, based in Mecca, has recently welcomed a diverse group of more than 30 guests from around the world to its annual Medjool Date Harvest Tour. The event brought together a mix of retailers, importers, wholesalers, influencers, dietitians, chefs, and media. Guests had the opportunity to go up to the date palms to try hand-harvesting the fruit, guided by the brand-skilled palmeros. They gained insights into the labor-intensive process, which encompasses everything from dethorning to the final harvest. Additionally, they explored the date pack facilities, deepening their understanding of how the products are sorted, graded, and packed. The tour culminated with a harvest-hot grower dinner with guests enjoying a medjool date-inspired meal, prepared by Master Chef Walter Zaromsky. Natalia Takolai, Digital Marketing Manager for MetJewel, says that every year their tour surpasses expectations thanks to the ever-expanding global network of attendees who gather to learn about their products and sustainable growing practices. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced the appointment of 11 members to the Haas Avocado Board, appointed our three producer members, three producer alternates, two importer members, and two importer alternates to fill three-year terms expiring on October 31st of 2026, and one vacant importer alternate seat to fill the remainder of the term, which expires on October 31st of 2024. The Haas Avocado Board has a total of 12 members, including seven producer members, two importer members, and three producer or importer members who serve in swing seats, and each member has an alternate. For the full listing of the newly appointed members, log on to HaasAvocadoBoard.com. In August of this year, California citrus grower Ron Turner accused Representative John Duarte's family nursery of deceptively selling him the wrong type of lemon tree in 2015. At the time, the congressman was the company president. Turner says that Duarte Trees and Vines agreed to sell him 1,868A Lisbon lemon trees, but sold him seedless lemon trees instead. Because seedless lemon trees historically have yielded less fruit than their seeded counterparts, Turner and his suit claimed he was cheated out of just under $348,000. A combination of the money he claims he could have made from better lemon trees and the money he claims to be losing out on the years ahead. Turner is accusing Duarte's nursery of breach of contract, negligence and fraud and hopes to win at least roughly $350,000 he says he lost plus attorney's fees. 
Lemonera is thrilled to announce the launch of its newest campaign called Climate Smart Lemons. Before the world began thinking of regenerative agriculture, they've been dedicated to ensuring that each generation can continue growing a sustainable lemon, according to Harold S. Edwards, president and CEO. At the core, their growers and trees are rooted in tradition, thriving through technology. Climate Smart Lemons are not only a representation of Lemonaria's commitment to a sustainable future, but also an opportunity to showcase the work that goes into creating high-quality fruit. The campaign's key features, which include multiple new packaging options that will be plastic-free and or biodegradable, spotlights on the different growers that are paragons of sustainable farming practices and informative content centered on consumer education. That according to Susan Jones-Negg, Director of Global Sales and Citrus marketing. This campaign is the company's pledge to both sustainability and transparency, where the consumer will be able to see behind the curtain the work underpinning the creation of premium fruit. Climate Smart Lemons will also feature key partners that share a sense of responsibility to the environment and supply chain initiatives because sustainability continues after the fruit is picked. Unique from its other campaigns, Climate Smart Lemons is a pledge towards a more sustainable and resilient future. Being able to grow premium citrus for 130 years is not a fluke, but rather proof that successful growing requires being thoughtful and forward-thinking, according to Edgar Guterres, Vice President of Farming. From decisions in the early 1900s to be a founding member of the oldest operating insectary in the county to the recent focus on creating ways to grow in water-scarce areas, they remain committed to longevity in the land, according to Guterres. They're helping with water infiltration, getting that water through that soil surface. They're helping with retention. Once you get the water in there, you want to make sure you keep it there. And they're helping with distribution, making sure you don't go into these narrow channels, that you're getting really nice lateral distribution of your water. Nutrien's Eileen Bernard talking about soil surfactants, a type of product technology that can maximize irrigation management by capturing runoff. These products help with infiltration, distribution, and retention, and can be very beneficial to growers with high variability soils. Soil surfactants, at the end of the day, are working towards three main attributes. They're helping with water infiltration, getting that water through that soil surface. They're helping with retention. Once you get the water in there, you want to make sure you keep it there. And they're helping with distribution, making sure you don't go into these narrow channels, that you're getting really nice lateral distribution of your water. A surfactant essentially increases the surface area of water droplets to enable movement and absorption of water through zones of weakness. The way you think about it, if you have a droplet size that's taking up kind of a finite amount of space there, maybe say, I don't know, for, for sake of argument, two inches, if we are able to reduce the surface tension of that droplet, we basically flatten that droplet out, which gives it a much wider diameter of contact with that soil surface. So one of the ways I really like to think about it is that droplet is almost like a big beach ball, completely inflated, right? So if we can remove some of the air out of that beach ball, we're able to you know, compress it a little bit, find those zones of weakness, and then pull it down. That's exactly what's happening with our droplet. So we're getting much wider. Uh, contact with that soil surface, helping decrease that critical saturation point, allowing the water to move through, and we're making it just a little bit more pliable in that space. With irrigation as well as rain events each happening in different parts of the year, one might question when the best time to apply one of these products is. 
the best time to solve your problem is before you have gotten into that situation. So you definitely want to apply before we're starting to get all of that standing water and some of the issues we had earlier this winter. So the sooner the better. Um, and starting that at the very beginning of your irrigation cycle is really going to set you up for success. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Jalstrom. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. Artificial intelligence, often referred to as AI, is creating waves across a multitude of industries, and the produce sector is no exception. While the term artificial intelligence may be novel in the context of farming, it's important to note that the agricultural industry has long relied on research and data-driven decision-making. They were already using AI, they just weren't calling it AI, according to Dirk Winkleman, president of Vanguard Direct. He says that Vanguard leverages data from 10 sources worldwide. The emergence of AI is simply the next step in a natural progression offering new tools that will streamline and enhance processes that have been in place for generations. In the produce industry, AI can serve as a versatile and powerful tool, contributing to various aspects of the supply chain. Some of its key functions in a produce industry include assisting with inventory management by analyzing market trends, weather data, and sales figures to offer demand insights. It also optimizes the supply chain by providing real-time insights into the movement of produce and ensures quality control through the use of an AI computer vision system to sort fresh produce. In recent years, AI's impact on agriculture has extended to autonomous farming. According to Forbes, there are approximately 200 AI-based agricultural startups in the U.S. alone, reflecting a growing interest in automating agricultural processes. This shift towards autonomy is evident in innovations such as self-driving tractors and autonomous sprayers, which enhance the efficiency of farming tasks. The role of AI in the produce industry extends beyond the farm itself. The Ben Mile LinkedIn newsletter highlights additional applications of AI in the food industry, including monitoring quality control and safety compliance at food facilities, along with further advancements in sorting fresh produce. However, it's crucial to remember that while AI can support process automation and efficiency, it is no replacement for the depth of knowledge and experience that farmers bring to the table. Winkleman emphasizes this point, highlighting the enduring value of the expertise that generations of farmers have contributed to the industry. As the produce industry continues to evolve in tandem with AI, it's evident that AI will continue to be a pivotal player in shaping the industry's future. AI enhances efficiency, quality, and sustainability while working alongside the wealth of knowledge that farmers bring to the field. Together, they drive the industry forward in a more productive, data-driven manner, according to Vanguard International. A federal appeals court in St. Louis has struck down the Environmental Protection Agency's rule that effectively bans chlorpyrifos, a pesticide widely used in agriculture. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in a year-long battle involving environmental and agribusiness groups that the EPA failed to follow sound science and the law when it revoked chlorpyrifos tolerances in a 2021 rule. The American Farm Bureau Federation was among several farm groups that sued the EPA. AFBF attorney Travis Cushman says the courts originally gave EPA six months to modify its tolerances rule. And rather than modify them and just follow the science on it, they just kind of threw up their hands and canceled all tolerances. And the court found that was inappropriate without first looking 
uh, out the science and the law. AFBF Sam Kiefer said when EPA issued its rule, fruit and vegetable growers would have to turn to fewer, less effective and more expensive pesticides. For some crops like soybeans, there are some alternatives, but none of them have quite the broad spectrum of coverage as chlorpyrifos. There are other crops, um, you know, many specialty crops, where there are no alternatives. EPA could still appeal the Eighth Circuit Court ruling, but AFBF's Cushman is hoping otherwise. But hopefully the EPA will realize it messed up. The court found it messed up. Uh, we've been telling them they messed up here and just agree to, to go ahead and allow these uh, this products back in the market again. Until then, Cushman says producers will continue being forced to use alternatives that may be less effective and more costly. USDA and the National FFA organization recently renewed its partnership to prepare students for careers in the ag, food science, and natural resources sectors. USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. At the 96th annual National FFA Convention, the renewal of an agreement between the organization and the Agriculture Department. This MOU is a reflection of a true partnership where we work in concert to ensure that young people have extraordinary opportunities. We eagerly anticipate the vibrant future of our partnership will carve out in not just growing that next generation of leaders who will change the world, but through USDA and many other places across this nation, putting that talent to work to ensure a vibrant future for the industry that we both love so much. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and National FFA CEO Scott Stubb at the convention, signing the Memorandum of Understanding, renewing the five-year relationship between both entities. This MOU is essential as it paves the way for the continued evolution of the agriculture industry and empowers today's youth to meet the demands of the agriculture pipeline. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Foreign investment in U.S. agricultural land is a big topic. USDA's latest research based on 2021 data shows over 40 million acres of American agricultural land are owned by foreign investors and companies. This corresponds to 3.1% of all privately held agricultural land and 1.8% of all land in the U.S. Canadian investors own the largest portion of foreign held agricultural land with 31% or 12.8 million acres of the total and 0.97% of all U.S. agricultural land. Many of the current concerns center around China. China is ranked 18th in ownership of U.S. agricultural land with 383,000 acres. That's less than 1% of total foreign-owned U.S. ag land and three-hundredths of 1% of all ag land in the U.S. It reflects a total area of about one-third the size of Rhode Island or that of an average Ohio county. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.